looking for it in finances, looking for it, whatever. And then all of a sudden today, we're going to be in chapter 4, and it's, it's interesting. The verses we're going to focus on are verses 8 through 12. And it's almost as if he kind of takes a, a break or right in the middle of his search where he says, okay, well, even in the middle of my search for meaning of life, life goes on. And today we're going to focus on the idea of, of relationships or specifically friendships, okay? So go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 8. But people were created for relationships. We know that the Bible tells us that God created man, and after making him, he said, this is not good for him to be alone, right? So he quickly made Eve and uh, fulfilled Adam's immediate need for companionship. In Proverbs, the Bible tells us that if you want to have friends, you must first be a friend. Um, I, one of the books that I'm reading this year uh, is called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you ever read that book? It's an old book, yeah. And Dale Carnegie, in that book, he says this, You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. I'll say it again. So we got a lot of mmms and oh. He says that you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. So if you've got no friends and that's the way you've been going about it, maybe we just need to switch that. Some people have never learned to make and keep friends the Carnegie Institute of Technology found that in a study of engineers that about 15% of their career success was due to their technical knowledge and abilities in the field of engineering. The rest, 85%, was due to their skill in human engineering, that is their ability to relate to other people. In the text for today, we're going to study verses 8 through 12, and we're going to find that friendships are a vital ingredient of life. You and I must have friends if our lives are going to have the meaning and satisfaction that we're looking for. Let's read at verse 8. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business." Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken." Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray this morning that as we study it, that you will show us how friendships and relationships in our lives can add meaning to our lives, and that you've created us in a way that we were not meant to live life alone. Thank you for your spirit and for your son, Jesus. Amen. In our passage today, we're going to find out a few things, three things specifically. We're reminded that friendships give meaning to our lives, that friendships enable us to accomplish our goals, and finally, that friendships sustain us in the crisis of life that we face. 
So the first one, friendships help give meaning to our lives. Look at verse 8. The writer is telling the story here and uh, painting kind of a picture of loneliness. He's focusing on a person who has no son, no brother, that is no heir. But it's implied that he has no friends either, no relationships whatsoever. It says that one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he's being successful, right, as far as money goes and, and worldly riches go. But for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. The problem discovered by this man who was all alone with no relationships was that his life had no meaning. He worked hard and accumulated wealth. These are good things. But there was no one with whom he could share the things he had. The only answer he would have had for the question, for whom am I toiling, would have been for myself. And that answer was not good enough. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? He worked so hard that he had no time to build relationships with the people around him. Not only did he have no brother or son, he had no friends. And this is meaningless, he said. An unhappy business. Have you ever known someone like that that worked so hard, so hard, they wanted to accomplish everything that they had in their mind, but they had no time for anyone else? At the end of that person's life, it's going to be a very lonely time for them to sit with all the things that they've accumulated, but no one around to share them with. Brooke and I moved to Florida in 2003. We left behind our families and friends. We grew up in Dallas, Texas. So we lived there for 20-something years. And when we left, it was an exciting time because we were going to Florida. We were going to be a part of a ministry and and do the things that God was calling us to do. Um, But it was also a sad time. You know, all of our family and friends that we had spent our entire life building and creating this little home of ours, uh, we were leaving them behind. Uh, Our friendships were everything to us. Not only did we have, uh, we were blessed to come from good families where we loved each other as far as mom, dad, brother, sister goes, but we had some of the closest friends you can ever imagine. You know, one of my closest friends you've met, Willie, he's in India as a missionary. We met the first day of kindergarten. We were five. You know, one of my other closest friends, Greg, we met in sixth grade. Uh, my brother, who you, many of you have met, and Clint, Clint is a missionary in Poland. Many of you have gotten to see him on the screen in the past. Some of you have met him in person. We met Clint. My brother was in fourth grade, and Clint was in third grade, and we, left, we lived behind each other in the same neighborhood. We, we ended up kind of living all as family together. Do you have a friend that's kind of like family, where they know everything about you, you know, you've got some friends where you act a certain way around them, and then you've got your other friends where you kind of sit down with them and you can just, like, relax because you don't have to pretend. That's really a, ni- a nice thing. I mean, growing up in a pastor's home, you had to kind of sometimes pretend. <laughs> and it was always good when you knew you entered someone's home and you could just take, like, this big sigh and say, oh, I can just be myself here, as silly or stupid or funny as I want to be. It doesn't matter because they know me. They're my friends. So family is a wonderful fountain of relationships, but we can add meaning to our lives by developing friendships with those around us. When we moved to Florida and we left those, God was very gracious to me because he said, Brian, I know that you're leaving those friends, but I'm going to put some other friends in your life as well. 
And it didn't take long for uh, God to put Randy in my life, and, and he's added to that number. And obviously, Sydney has been someone who has walked with me in this entire journey most of my adult life. So I'm very, I'm very privileged. God took care of me, saw that I needed that, or else how could I have been okay with moving so far away from my family and friends if he would not have helped to replace those relationships once I got here? That would have been very difficult. So friendships, they give meaning to our lives. Let's look at verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Two people have a good return for their work. People working alone seldom accomplish as much as people working together, right? Even the Lone Ranger had who? Sure, sure. A wise person once told me that involving people is the key to success. The more people you involve, the more successful you will be. We need other people working with us if we're going to be successful ourselves. This is a funny story. Two fellow employees who had just lost their jobs due to downsizing both showed up to apply for the same position at another company. The personnel director interviewed each applicant individually and asked them to describe how people worked at their old company. The first one said, at my last job, everyone just looked out for themselves. They were all out to get me. It was dog eat dog. Nobody cared about anybody, and they tried to stop me, whatever I was doing. And the personnel director told the applicant, he said, I'm afraid that you would find the people here pretty much the same way. I'm sure you wouldn't be happy here, but thank you for coming by. Then he called the next applicant in and asked the same question. And this applicant said, at my last job, I worked with a great bunch of people. Everybody did all they could to help me be successful and accomplish my goals. In fact, we all pitched in together. Cooperation and teamwork, that's how we got so much stuff done. And the personnel director said, that's exactly the way we operate here. When can you start? We will always accomplish more when we work together than when we work alone. So friendships can help us succeed in reaching our goals. God created us that way. He created the church that way. Sometimes, even in the church, we get this idea that, well, if I just moved out, I could do this whole thing on my own a little bit better. We've seen churches start that way. I'm happy to say that that's not the way heritage started. That in the heart of our leadership is this idea of cooperating with people around us. Not just people that come into this building on Sunday mornings, but other churches. It's not the enemy. <laughs> They're not our competition. We're not trying to see if we can run a better ad in the paper than they do so that we can get more people come in. In fact, we're trying our best to include our resources with theirs so that we can reach the people around us. And, and that we would accomplish one goal together, not the goal of seeing who can have the most people on a Sunday morning or who can have the most people in small groups or who can have the most volunteers in children's ministry, but who and how can we come together to reach the world for Jesus. That's our one goal, right? That's our one goal. And we will always accomplish that together as a church, big C, than we will trying to do everything on our own, church, little c. Are you with me? Look at verses 10 through 12. This is three different examples of how friendships sustain us in the crises that we face in our life. 
And if you've never faced one of these, chances are you will eventually. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. When do we appreciate the friends that we have? Or when do we most acutely realize our lack of friends? It's in those crisis moments of life, right? You never know when an accident is going to happen. Trust me. That, <laughs> that's, that's why they call them accidents. And when those unfortunate circumstances of life come along, it is very good to have a friend. You know, I think it was about an hour or two that I was just kind of in and out of consciousness after I was in my accident. And it's just kind of a big wash as to what happened. But every time I kind of came to, there, I remember whoever was kind of in front of me. You know, the first time I was still laying there and it was a bystander because he was just wearing, you know, shorts and he was yelling at me. And I didn't appreciate <laughs> why he was doing that. I didn't know. I didn't understand so I kind of just let myself go out of it again, I think. The next time it was, uh, you know, someone in a uniform working on me. So I thought, well, something bad has happened. And he's supposed to be here, so at least he probably knows what he's doing. I remember uh, waking up once, being in the ambulance, and having this guy here, you know, doing stuff to me. And I remember waking up in the OR, and they were, you know, sticking me and stapling me and doing all these things. And then I remember being waking up, rolling down the hallway, so I assumed I was in a bed moving, and I hear this voice, and he said, Williams. And I'm telling y'all, as bad as I felt, I, I just had this sense that, okay, it's, it's, I hear Sid. <laughs> and I knew that no matter what was about to happen or going on, that he would not let anything wrong occur. If you've ever busted into a hospital in the middle of the night with Sid, stuff gets done real fast. <laughs> and I open my eyes, and the next thing I know, I see Mike Tucker's face. I'm in an elevator. And it began to just make me feel like, okay, you know, I don't even know yet what happened. But I knew that I had friends there. And then I remember waking up again, and all of a sudden I see my family, I see Randy, and I go, okay, you know, I'm not in heaven, so <laughs> I'm still here, and it feels really good, as bad as I feel, to know that the people that love me are around, that it, I know that they're making my family feel okay, I know that they're making me feel comfortable, and I know that no one is going to do anything that wouldn't be in my best interest as long as all these people who love me are standing here. So having friends in these times of crisis is very important. You know, I, I can't even imagine uh, the number of people, many of you in this room, who took care of my family during those days right after that. You took care of us, you fed us, you were there, 
It, it, the people, uh, I remember Rodney and Andy being in the hospital for hours. Eric and Jen, you know, just sitting there, just, just knowing. I remember hearing Janet and Hannah in the hospital hallway because I really wasn't suitable for everybody just to come in, but I could hear them out there going, you know, we're here, and everything is okay. Some people save up money for a rainy day. That's, that's really smart. But I would suggest to you that it would also be wise to accumulate friends. More than any other resource, friends can sustain us during the crisis of life. One little boy told his mom, said, I'd rather have a million friends than a million dollars. And she said, why? He said, well, I figure if something bad happens, they can all come up with a dollar each to pitch in anyways. <laughs> It'd be good to, have the, to be the guy with a million friends. One of the best places that we have found in our family to make those real close friendship relationships, the kind that's almost like family, is in a missional community. And I know you say, oh, you're the missional community guy. You're supposed to put a plug in for that. But I truly believe that. I mean, the people that are in my, my missional community, I wouldn't want to be without them. I've seen that group of people provide for each other. I've seen them jump and pitch in when something went wrong and immediately things were taken care of. I've seen them serve people they didn't even know because it was important to one other person in the group. That's the kind of people you got to live with. It makes life have so much more meaning. There's a verse in Galatians And if you're one of those Bible drill fast people, you can turn to chapter 6. If not, I'm going to read just one verse real quickly. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The word translated burden in that verse is not something small like a backpack. It's something that's so huge and something ridiculously massive that no one would ever consider trying to pick it up themselves. A friend of mine, uh, Michael Kelly, he's an author, and he wrote a book called Wednesdays Were Pretty Normal. It's a book about kind of telling the story that he and his family went through when when their child uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. And Michael said that he wanted to be the strong kind of man who could handle this burden alone without any help, but his Christian friends refused to be left out. He says that they bombarded me with kindness and compassion. They wouldn't leave our house. They made Joshua a DVD of his favorite cartoons so he could watch them in his room. They spent the night in a hospital so Jana and I could sleep in the same bed. And slowly but surely, I found myself breaking under the onslaught of their attacks. The burden didn't get lighter, but it did get more evenly distributed. It's an amazing thing, he said, to see people who are not related to you in any other way other than the blood of Jesus weep tears for your child when your tears have long since dried up. It was as if they had taken Joshua into their own hearts and families so deeply that they were becoming a legitimate part of our own family. We hurt and they hurt. We laughed and they laughed. We lifted and thank God they lifted too. You need someone to help you carry the burdens of your life. And believe it or not, you need to help other people carry their burdens. 
If we're to make friends and keep friends, then we must be willing to invest ourselves in those people. We must be the friends that give meaning to their lives, not just going around looking for people to give meaning to our own lives. We must be the people that go around helping other people accomplish their goals, not just seeking friends that will help us accomplish our goals. And we must sustain other people in the crisis that we fa- they face. We should jump at the opportunity, not just sitting on sidelines and wait for our own crisis to come about and then hope that other people show up to help us in that crisis. Once you have a friend and you've made a friend and, and you're trying your best to keep a friend, let me suggest three actions for you to take. Number one, empathize with your friend. Do you know what empathy is? It's, it's more than sympathy. Sympathy is like understanding how they feel. Empathy is actually taking on that feeling as well. It's feeling the same feeling as that person feels. The Bible says that the body of Christ ought to be like that, that if one rejoices, the others rejoice with him. If one mourns, the others grieve by their side. Notice that empathy goes both ways. In good times and in bad times, it sometimes seems easier to feel sorry for someone in their misfortune than to be happy for them in their good fortune. Our jealousy, our pride and resentment come into play. But if we really love someone as a friend, we will celebrate their achievements, their successes. Even when they do much better than we hope that we would ever do. Empathize with your friend. The second thing is this, sacrifice for your friend. A friendship is more than a business deal, okay? It's not just what each friend hopes to benefit from each other. A friend is not someone to help us out, meet our needs, fulfill our lives. It's somebody to be cast aside when we no longer need their services, no. A friend is someone for us to pour our life into. Jesus said this, greater love has no man than this, than what? That he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus did more than just say it, didn't he? He did it. He made the ultimate sacrifice for you and me so that we might have forgiveness of sin and have eternal life. He's given us a really good example to follow. What an incredible story a couple weeks ago, Memorial Weekend, when we heard Dave's story about how his friend sacrificed his life for him on the battlefield. We must sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of those we call friends. If we wouldn't make a sacrifice for our friend, probably they're not our friend. This will not often mean ending our life. It's okay. Most of the time it will mean spending our life, spending our time, our money, investing our energy in order to bring about the best for those that we love. Friendship is an investment that pays tremendous dividends in our own lives as well as in the lives of of our friends. And finally this, as a Christian, you ought to evangelize your friend. Don't be afraid of this word. It just means you need to tell your friends about Jesus. I would assume that every one of us have friends that don't necessarily know Jesus. God didn't set us aside as Christians so that we would only hang out with Christians that would make no sense to his ultimate goal. How could he set 
this whole thing in motion by sending out Christians if they weren't allowed to make non-Christian friends. Evangelize your friends. Share the good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life with them. The Bible's full of stories about those who brought their friends to Jesus, brought their whole families. We cannot wait for someone else to do the job. God has placed us in relationships with those people, and he expects us to use those relationships to bring lost people into his kingdom. I truly believe that. If you think that being a good friend would be not pushing my ideas on my friend because they don't believe in Jesus, then I would say, you might not really believe everything that you say you believe. One day it will be too late to tell those that we love how they can be saved. The only moment we are sure of this is the one that we're living right now. Now is the time to win our friends to Christ. I remember I believe I was in ninth grade when I went to youth camp. Maybe one of the reasons that we're so passionate about youth camp and the good things that it does. And I received Jesus in my heart, right? I prayed a prayer. I asked God to forgive me. Whatever you want to say, that was the moment when my life changed because instead of me being completely in charge, as a 15-year-old, the best I knew how, I said, God, I want you to be in charge of my life. And the way it happened was a great, you know, great story. I won't go all into it, but it was an invitation, you know. The pastor was speaking to, uh, I think there was about 1,400 kids at this youth camp. It was kind of a big youth camp. And, and he said, he said, you know, you may be the pastor's son. And I was like, you know, looking around. My dad's a pastor. He said, you might be the minister of music's son. I'm looking. My mom was the minister of music at my church. I'm thinking, this guy is talking right to me. And he said, you've got everyone in the church fooled thinking that you must be a Christian because of who your mom and dad are. But you know in your heart that you are in charge of your life. And I said, this guy is talking to somebody. You know, I thought my youth leader had told him all my story. And he, out of 1,400 people, he was mainly just trying to get me saved that night. So, you know, I, I went and I, and I gave my life to the Lord. And I was so excited. Now, keep in mind, I had grown up in church, okay? I knew the right things. You know, I wasn't someone that was just learning about it for my first time. And I remember getting home from camp. I, was, I remember I was 15. I couldn't yet drive. And I got on my bike. I got a backpack, and I put my Bible in it. And I rode that bike. I would never let my kid even go down the street these days. I know it's sad, but I rode that bike for miles across town to my friend Waylon's house. And it was summer, youth camp, so he was home alone. We used to just hang out in the pool and then go to baseball practice. And I said, hey, before we go swimming today, I was hoping I could tell you about what happened at youth camp. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, he was a great friend. And we sat down at his kitchen table, two teenagers, and I brought out my Bible. And the best I knew how, I just started telling him about what I felt had happened in my heart. That, that Jesus was, is, and I even remember saying, Waylon, you're one of my closest friends, but I think that Jesus is now like my, ex, my, my ultimate best friend, and you're like number two, okay? And 
I just want you to know that I have this feeling in me that, that he has done something, that I'm different, and, and doing my best, told him. And I, and I look back, and I will never forget that we sat there, and, and, and Waylon, and best I knew how, we, we prayed, and he said, yeah, I definitely wouldn't want that. If you got it, I want it. And, and we prayed, and, and, and he said, Jesus, I want you to come and live in my heart the way you did Brian's. And, and I remember, you know, just saying, sometimes when you become in student ministry, you almost get jaded because, you know, we had those kids that would get saved and baptized every single summer, you know. And, and you sometimes start to think, okay, well, well, I don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's, what is actually happening. But I knew that God had done something in my life because there was a difference. It, it changed me. And I knew that if I truly loved my friend, that I had to tell him the same thing. I had to. And I couldn't be embarrassed or afraid or scared of what he might say or think. And you know what? Because he was already my friend, he would never have made me feel any of those things. When one of our core values at Heritage is relational evangelism. This idea that I would go up to a stranger on the corner and bust up my Bible and say the exact same thing I said to Wayland, that doesn't make hardly any sense. But that I would say that to someone who I've invested in and cared for and they've cared for me and we've taken care of each other in the crisis of life, when I sit down to share with them is most important on my heart, they're going to receive that. Jesus has already put that person in my life so that one day I would have the opportunity to share Jesus with them as well. I mean, Jesus gave you money so that one day you could share your money with your friend. He gave you Jesus so that one day you could share Jesus with that friend. I promise that's the way he has, he has set it up for us. I want us to be those kinds of friends to those around us. I want people around town to know that if you're friends with someone at Heritage, that they're going to give meaning to your life. And they're going to help you accomplish your goals and that they are, those are the kind of people that will always be there for you in your time of crisis. That those are the kind of people that will share everything with you, including their love for Christ. When everything is said and done, deep down, all of us value friendship and community. We can't deny it. You can pretend like you're a loner and you just want to do your own thing and not be around other people and live life as a hermit. There's probably nothing wrong with a little bit of solitude from time to time, but you, it's got to be in small doses. I'm old enough to know now that you have to have people in your life who care for you. You have to. It's the way God created you. You can't shake it. He wired us with a need for friendship. Jesus says this in John 15. Uh, it applies to everyone. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. The way that you speak about Jesus loving you is the way he wants others to speak about you loving them. When you get real sappy during worship and you think of all the great things Jesus has done for you and, and out of his love for you, he wants you to love that way to your friends. Love each other just as I have loved you. As we seek friendship with Jesus and one another, we can develop deeper and deeper relationships. Friendships make the church go forward. Find a friend and keep a friend. 
and live this out. And I guarantee you, your life will begin to have the meaning and satisfaction that you're searching for. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the friends that you've put in my life. Thank you for my heritage family. Thank you that we are doing our best to learn how to love one another the way you've loved us. That we can provide for one another and care for each other in our times of crisis. I pray that we would be so much loving one another that we would be excited and thrilled when others succeed. And that we would hurt and mourn when others hurt and mourn. I pray that we would help give meaning to each other's lives by the way that we invest in each other. Our time, our energy, our finances, our love for Christ. I pray that we would not be able to go a week without sharing those things with each other, those people who you've placed in our lives for a reason and a purpose. Thank you for your word and that you give us the example Thank you that Jesus is the best friend of all. And that he is always with us in our time of crisis. That he gives the ultimate meaning to our lives. And life without him is is worthless. I pray for those today that don't yet know him as friend. That they would seek after him. The way I did when I was only a 15 year old kid. I pray that they would find meaning in the life of Jesus and in his love for us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all that you have done. Amen. Amen.